The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always is my usual partner in this venture back and forth through 60 years of television, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you doing, my friend? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all. Just glad to hear your dulcet tones after uh, after it was a bit dubious whether we'd record or not. Obviously, I wouldn't expect you to go into uh, everything that happened, uh, you know, on air or anything. But yeah, just uh, just happy to hear your voice, mate. Ah, oh, cheers, bud. Thank you very much. I mean, I'll, I'll dive into a little bit of it now. You know, people by by the time this comes out, people have probably heard it anyway. But um, I effectively came home. I've had this this terrible cough, as people have known for weeks and weeks on all the shows I've done and joke about it on chain wrestling and all that sort of stuff uh on for uh, when would it have been thursday my cough got really really bad when i tried to lump a big bit of aluminium around at work and bounced it on my chest to get the balance right and so on and by the time i got home an hour later i couldn't breathe and i reckon for around 10 minutes i thought i was going to fucking die so that was a bit of a scary time there my chest was very tight i couldn't breathe all sorts of stuff uh, the wife you know rang up um 111 is it the the national yeah. health yeah and they they asked her a few questions about what was going on and they basically said right we're sending an ambulance out now uh, the ambulance out to me and they wired me up to all sorts of shit and basically my breathing calmed back down and then all it is it turns out that where i've been coughing so bad for so long i've damaged loads of muscles in my chest so the the muscles were tense and go funny which would cause me to cough which would then damage the muscles more and it was just a constant circle so yeah constant loop of nonsense but on the plus side, it seems like it's improved it because I've got these crazy strong painkillers that turn me into an absolute zombie. I take them. It knocks me out. I'm not coughing. My chest already feels a hell of a lot better just a couple of days later. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it, I'm, I'm looking at it as a blessing in disguise because I'm not coughing as much as I once was. So hopefully this is going to be solving that, my friend. Yeah, that's a bonus, dude. It's uh, it's now one all in uh, in near death experiences for us this year. So we're, uh, we're hopefully neither of us break that deadlock anytime soon. No, I'm happy for that to stay level. I don't want extra time or anything <laughs> on that. I'll tell you that now. Um, See, all I did all I, all I did this weekend was realise that I should I shouldn't mix um, a, a sort of mid level hangover with uh, with my medication. That was uh, that was a fun time yesterday morning. Um, I do find it funny though that you mentioned uh, zombies and having trouble with uh, with various bodily gases because that kind of perfectly plays into what we're covering today. It does. Look at look. Oh, what a segue that was. Fucking hell, you're professional, ain't you? Bloody look. And you at let that. me and you, you let me finish this one, not like the last fucking one I did where you cut me off halfway through. Yeah, and I've ruined it as well by pointing. I've ruined how professional that sounded by pointing out how professional that sounded. So, so should we actually introduce a proper professional because we've got a guest this week? We have indeed. We have indeed. It is guest week. Bloody love guest week. Bloody love guest week. As always, we have four guests on per season, and they pick their doctors before we get a chance to do our random rolling of the dice and so on. Joining us this week on the Doctor Who Pod is my other partner in time i guess from the waiting room podcast where we look at the uh 
cult TV show Quantum Leap and the exploits of Dr. Sam Beckett time traveling there is Mr. Benny Mack. Benny, how are you doing, sir? I forgot I was on the podcast for a second. Eh? It was going on for so long in that intro at the beginning. <laughs> so what did you think you were doing? Just listening in like spying? I was enjoying the episode, mate, to be honest. I was just, oh shit, I need to turn my mic up now so to get, get involved. Like, um, Yeah, that did sound professional, Danny. Then so I went, yeah, that's fucking professional. So, you know. Um, <laughs> See, this, is the, this is the point where the uh, the, part, the true partner in time joins the show and I become the, I become the partner in time side piece, but we inevitably unite just to destroy side for a couple of hours. <laughs> Oh, oh good. I listen. I was listening to some episodes of what the current season to uh, sort of catch up and uh, you know gauge where you guys are at at the moment. And then uh, I it's like I've, been, I'm not going to lie. I've not listened to many. In fairness, I'm having time to freaking listen to my own uh, podcast. I like as well as all everybody else's stuff. It's trying to fit. I try and fit at least one in a week of everybody's stuff. Um, I will admit I'm a little bit behind. I haven't actually finished the last season, to be honest, in fairness. So I'm actually trying to catch up before I came on. But hearing Sai call you his partner in time actually broke my heart a little bit, to be fair. Oh, mate. So (laughs) So it should yeah, so because <laughs> I because I get the same listening to the waiting room. I'm thinking he's a cheating bitch, but I can't I can't, yeah. just, can't get shot of him. I, I need him. Are we the two people that are being cheated on? Finally met and realised he's cheating on us. Is that what's going on here? I think it might be. <laughs> it's it's, it's Rose and Martha all over again. God's sake! I, I but well, I'm glad, I, but I well, I'm glad you're feeling well. Better sorry anyway. Yeah, so. yeah great. Yeah, you know, I thought I was going to die a couple of days ago, but yeah, you two gang up on me. Feel free, you know. <laughs> If you don't freaking laugh at these things, I'm not saying you should laugh necessarily right away, but you've got to have a bit of a sense of humour in life in general. So, uh, the worst part of it, honestly, what happened was the boredom. I couldn't record. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I, I, you know, I, I, I went to the shop, um, and then did the washing up, and that felt like a treat because I was, I was told to sit down and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> so it was uh, the board. I said to the wife, uh, "I'm recording tomorrow. I don't give a sh- I, I don't care. I'm my throat is, my chest is, whatever. I'm recording tomorrow, no matter what, just to give me something to fucking do." And it turns out here I am stuck between you two bullying me. So this is going to be great. Um, <laughs> oh, you had the filling in the time traveling man sandwich. Oh, time traveling man, man sandwich is good. That's a t-shirt itself. Oh. If, if we actually if we actually title these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today, we are looking at the Christopher Eccleston story, The Unquiet Dead, from way back in 2005. So what's that? Some 18 years ago now, I think, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah, uh, still 18 years ago. Yes, indeed. Uh, the third episode of the reboot, and also the first time we see new who i suppose going back in time because the first episode was obviously set present day the next episode was set in the future so here we are traveling back and we are in uh victorian england or wales i suppose because they're in cardiff Sorry. it's 1869 and yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie benny when you selected this i was quite excited because i had very fond memories of this uh so we'll dive straight into it we'll ask the questions we normally do when we have a guest on okay um talk us through your first of all your doctor who fandom how you discovered the show you know and, and so on and uh, you know talk us through how you, what you liked and what, what caught your attention about it and after that please tell us exactly why you chose this episode in itself for us to cover um so doctor who again when i was a kid i i vaguely remember it i think it was 
Peter Davison. I remember seeing an episode. Now, I'm not saying I saw it when it initially aired. I think it was more than likely a repeat at some point. I want to say early 90s. I have no idea whether it was a repeat, whether it was currently on. I have no idea, to be totally honest. Um, but when Doctor Who, the reboot, started kicking about, um, I, I will admit, I was like, well, it just, I, I'm assuming because of the time slot, even though it is fairly late, I suppose, not really, but it's not in post watershed, is it, over here in the UK, but um, at the time. But I was like, oh, it's just for kids. I'm not going to lie. I was like, eh, because I, mean, I think somewhere around I, I, when I finally discovered it, I think David Tennant had just, and I mean just, taken over. And the reason why I ended up going back and watching it was because I caught the Christmas special, which is not one of his best specials, but it's, I was like, actually, there's a lot more to this. And I, thought i thought you know <laughs> i don't know what i thought really to be honest with you i probably just thought it was very kiddish and childish but um, sorry which which special was that his his, his first, first his first very, ah, his very first episode that, uh, that's David funny Tennant you mentioned that a, a little coincidence charlie my daughter is watching that literally as we record right now letting, letting your kid watch uh, watch limbs be chopped off yeah, yeah yes exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she uh, she watched the the unquiet dead back with me today and then she's convinced her mum to let her carry on watching dot two downstairs so she's put uh, sorry tenant on so yeah funny you mentioned that one that's what she's watching now yeah sorry carry on mate yeah no, and um basically um i was like do you know what i think there's a the story i thought the story was pretty good and again i didn't get everything because i'd it was the first one i'd seen and obviously doctor who's almost like an institution in this country at this point that's to be fair even probably then but um I think at the time, I don't think Netflix was fully available like on our streaming boxes and stuff then, but BT TV had like a back catalog where you could click on things and watch them back. But, you know, what we now know is streaming. Um, I suppose it was kind of box sets. I think it was on BT. I'm not sure, but I ended up watching the first season and I'm not going to lie. Um, at the time I, I wasn't a big fan of Eccleston and then obviously he was followed by Tennant. So, kind of hard to beat tenant to be fair but um i watched it back so i wanted to be make sure i caught up and then by the time i finished the first season i think season two had been done and it was available to watch so um i kind of just went from there really and david Tennant's stuff got better and better obviously as we all know mm. um but um yeah I, yeah so i think unintentionally i ended up watching it on christmas day or christmas eve or whenever it was on that particular year, Christmas Day, I assume, that's, you know, as he, there's not a lot to do in this country on Christmas Day apart from <laughs> eat food and drink. So, and then watch Doctor Who, which then became a thing for a while. Um, a little, I am trying to watch it again, but to be fair, once Matt Smith left, I kind of fell out of it a little bit. I watched a few okay. Capaldi. Um, and I think because of the story from season one all the way till when up to Matt Smith leaving, it, even though it wasn't all bad wolf, but there was a lot of stuff there that came full circle by the time Matt Smith and Tennant did that 50th anniversary episode. Mm. Um, so for me, I was kind of like, that's really good. So it's almost like the, it's almost like the Marvel franchise where you get, you hit end game and yes, I'm watching the newer stuff, but at the moment we are very much in the thing of building the next, um, <laughs> the next era of it basically so i've watched a few capaldi's but apparently it does get better so i've but i've not gone much farther than probably the first three episodes he did so i've not i've not seen any whittaker at all which apparently she's really good so it does get a lot better in the capaldi era it's the problem is when it's good it's very good and, and to the point where a few of his episodes are like some of my favorites and you know go oh, okay. beyond go beyond Tennant and smith you know they are that good it's just when they're ropey they're really fucking ropey Oh, okay. 
and a bit similar with Whitaker, and we've we've talked on on here before about how they wrote Jodie's Doctor so differently to previous incarnations, but made her made her a much more sort of shallow character. Like it was, it was very. One criticism is that she's very sort of one note in it, but it's all to do with the acting and direction and not Jodie's performance herself. So yeah, it's a um, bit hit and miss, but there's still there's still a lot to like in uh, in both um, in both areas. Yeah, I need to get into it really. To be fair, especially after seeing the trailer for the 60th anniversary, I'm like, if I'm going to watch it, I need to like catch up quickly because <laughs> I want to yeah. be able to know everything that's gone on. Because I loved it in the uh, the uh, the 50th anniversary episode with the bad wolf references and just everything that happened, you know, preceded it up until that point was. And then seeing John Hurt as the War Doctor and stuff was amazing at the time. Uh, so you know, give us a shout. I'll tell you which ones to skip. Okay, fair enough. Actually, I'll get a list. I'll maybe, maybe I'll get a list off you that I need to the ones I need to watch in order to maybe follow on to the next one or something like that, rather than watching all of them. <laughs> yeah, I could get that together for you, no problem. I've got my uh, I've got my little database of what we cover, so yeah, I can make that work. Cool, thank you. Nice. This, this is the problem, Sam. Now, now you're now you're two time traveling buddies are going to start start talking behind your back. Hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll have to find another sci-fi show to do. Maybe a bit with Benny and Danny instead. Don't, Rob. Rob, Rob will try and get you to do fucking Blake 7 or, what, or Babylon 5, whatever one he always tries to get signed to do. He's always on at me about Babylon 5. Babylon 5, yeah. I think that's an ongoing thing with SGP World Media in general and the podcast circle of people. It's just a Babylon 5 joke whenever you can get it in, really. <laughs> I might I might randomly, just to, just to surprise him, completely out of the blue, just do one episode and pick it completely at random, like season three, episode seven or something, and just <laughs> review it and put it out there just to surprise him. I don't know. We'll have to see. No, we see, you've, put, you've put yourself under pressure now because you've got to do it now before it comes out, before he listens to this. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's gonna... right. I'll, I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I was going to say, what you need to do is you need to make a logo and everything, release it in its own stream and everything. Oh, my God. He's finally doing Babylon 5. Do one episode, and at the end of the episode, go, that was fucking shit. I am not doing any more. <laughs> that is it. We are done. <laughs> Uh, I've never seen it to be able to judge, so uh, it could be interesting. But I, I've got—I haven't got the time. I haven't got the time. Anyway, the Unquiet Dead, two thousand and five. Um, this is obviously very early in the reboot, as we say. And I remember when this this all started, and so on, uh, when it all came back. And I remember who sort of first time round the sort of latter part of classic who and i've said it before on the show i'm fairly certain i was incredibly excited about doctor who coming back eccleston to me was a fantastic doctor because i was very concerned that i wouldn't like the new doctor i was really concerned that it just wasn't going to work for me but the first episode was exciting it was the nostalgia factor seeing the tardis in the background and, and all this sort of stuff it was just you know a wonderful bit of television from an old fan getting to rewatch, you know, well, watch something, a rebooted version of, of what he once loved. The second episode is the first time you're in space. And I wasn't overly sure about some of the aspects of that. But to me, with New Who, this story is when it really arrives. In, in my own personal opinion, watching back anyway, we've got the aspect of traveling back in time. We're in Victorian era, which is, you know, you know, an era when the, you know, in classic Who, the doctor did visit on occasions, I find Victorian times, the way it's filmed and the lighting and so on, maybe it's the gothic vibe to some of the places they're in it, with regards to Victorian television sometimes. I find it relatively creepy anyway. 
and then we see these bodies waking up and almost acting like well, like the old horror movie zombie tropes, I guess. Spoiler alert, I guess. I loved this. Dan, yourself, when was the last time you watched this one back before for, before for today's recording? You're talking years. Um, okay. maybe, maybe even more than a decade because every time I've watched Doctor Who back... You know, I normally do it in order, but this one was one that I never really paid much attention to because I didn't like it that much the first time I saw it. Okay. Um, it was. It was always. It's not that I dis. You know, not that I hated it or disliked it. It's just even in this first series, there are much better episodes. You know, we we've looked at Dalek and and we've looked at the uh, the ones with that god awful little bastard in the uh, the gas mask. <laughs> which still, which still puts the shits up me. <laughs> so yeah, I was. I went into it with uh, with an open mind and. It's it's better than I gave it credit for. I think part of the problem is as well. Um, I just find Simon Callow who plays Charles Dickens later on. He he just comes every time I've seen him in an interview or anything like that. He just comes across as a bright pretentious arsehole. Yeah, but it works here because I think Dickens is supposed to be a pretentious arsehole. Oh yeah, no, it absolutely works. But I'm just looking at him. It's fucking Simon Callow. He's a right knob. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we begin in a funeral parlor there is an old lady who is well i say you know old she's dead she's in she's in a casket uh getting made up for uh for her funeral and so on and effectively she wakes up and attacks a younger gentleman who is mourning her passing the big part from this is that the actual mortician the funeral director himself doesn't really seem all that surprised by what's going on does he no, I absolutely love that line as well, where it's just, oh, not another one. Yes. Um, I thought that was hysterical, but just to roll it back a bit to the very start of the show, this whole thing lays its uh, lays itself out and where the story's going very early, because we start with immediate foreshadowing. We see Gwyneth just, you know, lighting the gaslight uh, lamps, and the first line of the show is uh, Mr. Redpath, who's, you know, the morning relative, saying she was so full of life. Yeah. Mm, yes, and well, funnily enough, she's dead, and she's going to be full of life again, pretty damn soon. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, and yes. this is—I didn't realise until I watched it back that this was written by Mark Gatiss, uh, who would be Professor Lazarus in the uh, you know in the series with uh, with Martha, and he's—I think he's written some absolutely brilliant episodes, but this was obviously his, his first one in New Who. So yeah, it was, I just thought that to kick it off, knowing what happens. I like to think it was on purpose, and I think uh, knowing knowing how Russell T Davis works, like Benny said before, with the uh, you know with the bad wolf references throughout, and later on with the Harold Sachs and stuff that I've mentioned before, it it feels like that they just went, this will do. We'll tell them where we're going, and they won't even notice. There we go. There we go. It is good the way they they did that. To be fair, because they lay out. It's not until you get to the end of the series almost that you realise that all these things, and then other TV shows spawn from. You know, Cardiff, the Rift, obviously, in the Gwyneth character. Obviously, she comes back and plays her her own ancestor in Torchwood. So, um, like you said, very well laid out, to be honest, and you don't even know it until it's already happened. Yes, yes I mean, indeed. the the, the plant the seed for the Rift here, and then yeah. it's the very next season before we hear the phrase Torchwood Institute for the first time in, in Tooth and Claw. That's it, yeah. 
it just mind-blowing the level of detail they managed to go into and another sort of classic trope of after we get back from the uh, from the credits and we've seen the uh, we've seen the stiffs getting lively again and, and the old woman's gone wandering off into the night uh, we have it's sort of a classic trope of Doctor where the Doctor just can't quite pilot the TARDIS right and he thinks he's landing in Naples in 1860 he's managed to get the date and the year right but completely fucked it up and landed in Cardiff <laughs> yes indeed a couple of things with that then the 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 old lady uh, glows and and so on and wakes up breaks out the coffee and goes for a bit of a wander and I like the way that it, the the last scene we see is her in this zombified kind of state with the glowing face and the sort of wispy lines coming off her walking towards the camera in the snow almost screaming and the music hits so well that was really really well done but when she breaks out the coffin I'm kind of looking at that and I'm thinking. You know, this guy, this undertaker, he ain't very good at his job, is he? Because that coffin fell apart very, very easily. <laughs> it felt a bit, um, it felt a bit gobbledygook <laughs> to use a wrestling reference. Yes, it did. It did. I think he makes up for it with a line of "Get down here now." We got another one to Gwyneth trying to get her. To- <laughs> so <laughs> I think you've got that like scary moment of it, and yet because again, this was probably the first one that I really went. From the from that, like you said, that scene you've already said, Sliwesh, the the old lady's walking towards the camera and it, it kicks into the intro. I was like, "What the f- is going on?" Like, so um, you yeah. know, this was one of the first ones that I was really like, "Oh." And to be fair, I don't I, again, as you said earlier about um, uh, Simon Callow, uh, Danny. I'm not a massive Exton fan because I, I find him in you know back then. I'm not sure about now, but I found him to be quite a pretentious sort of like I'm an actor type person. So. Um, I don't know why, but he, he used to annoy me. So I wasn't a massive fan of the Exton run initially, but looking through the episodes before this one, we do actually have some really good episodes with him in that one season, to be fair. Yeah, I don't think the way he left Doctor Who and, and sort of had, and sort of refused to come back, Yeah, uh, that, that really hasn't helped him and that, that perception. I think luckily I had seen him in a fair few things before this. So I was, and obviously Northern Bias, I was quite happy to have a Northern Doctor. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, a tiny little thing as well. It's not a big deal, and I've never noticed it before until watching back today. It's obviously snowing in Cardiff in 1860. It's, it's nearly Christmas time. And the TARDIS materialises already with loads of snow on it in the windows and so on, like it's been sat there a while. That was a tiny little thing, but that bugged me a little bit. I didn't notice that. Hmm. Yeah, like it's, it'd been sat, like it'd been sat there being snowed on for for some time already, you know. Well, maybe it had been. It's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I didn't notice either, to be honest. So, <laughs> I did enjoy though the Doctor and Rose's interaction, and Rose saying she was desperate to get outside, and the Doctor telling her if you go out dressed like that in 1860, you'll cause a riot, and then called her Barbarella. That tickled me. That tickled me. <laughs> it did me, but weirdly, what tickled me more was his directions to the water to the wardrobe. Yes. First left, <laughs> yeah, second yeah. right. First left, second right, under the stairs, past the bins, fifth door on your left. <laughs> you say past the bins. That does make sort of yeah. make me think. Like, what, what what's that going to be like? Is it like it kind of you know creates images in my mind of some sort of communal bin area, like when you're know, a block of flats with loads of like bins in and so on. But then you also think of it the other way. Even when the TARDIS was a bit run down and a bit battered like it is in this era because i mean uh whitaker's tardis is all bright and shiny and clean and so on you don't see any rubbish do you you sometimes see people eating you sometimes see people having a bag of crisps or a bit of fruit but there is no rubbish anywhere and there's no bins anywhere 
Do you know what I mean? It's a really small little silly thing, but I'm thinking, where did that rubbish go? Um, I think it's reprogrammed cybermats that just ah. go around go around like little Roombas and just get everything. <laughs> you um, Doctor Who created the uh, the electronic uh, robot vacuum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The <laughs> thing is, you've said that, and now all of that, I'm, I'm amazed it's taken me, of all people, this long to think about it. What's the plumbing situation? What happens when you need a shit on the TARDIS? Does it just go directly into the Eye of Harmony and then get crushed up in a black hole, or what's the what's the what's the story? We know there's we know there's a pool in there. I'm not saying you do it in there. I'm just saying there is a pool in there. So uh, you know, <laughs> just filled with piss and shit of deck of centuries, over a thousand years worth of Time Lord turds just floating in this pool. <laughs> oh, time time lords, <laughs> time lords. <laughs> Oh, brings a new oh. meaning to Captain's Log, doesn't it? Even though it's a well, choice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doctor Who and the Turdis. There we go. Doctor Who and the Turdis. Um <laughs> You know, there is actually I went to Chester last year and there's there's a museum called Sit to Death and it's all about um you know about the history of medicine and, and things like that. And there is a thing where you open it up and it's all about how bad sanitation led to the spread of disease. And somebody's actually put together a um a character, Doctor Pooh in the Turdis, you actually have to sit on a little toilet and watch all these videos that they've oh, filmed. <laughs> it's fantastic. I can't remember who did it, but it, yeah, I, I popped massively for that. I bet. That's right up your street, isn't it? Time travel and toilet humour. That's exactly your sort of level. Do- the Doctor's a, tra- a traveller, so more than likely he recycles everything and he probably reconstitutes his own fucking piss into something, <laughs> into drinks maybe as well. I don't know. So what? God knows what he's... He's probably grown his own tomatoes with his own turd, to be fair. So. Well, the that's what the the <laughs> Shit-powered TARDIS. Yeah, like, like on Back <laughs> to the Future... You know, he doesn't the, put shit in it though does he no the later the later back to the futures <laughs> they put rubbish in the DeLorean to make it go perhaps the doctor puts rubbish and shit oh, like a compost dear. heap perhaps yeah, there's a maybe. compost perhaps, the, perhaps the, the middle of the TARDIS that's supposed to power it is a compost heap in fairness there was that episode of Top Gear with you know when it was in the Hammond May and Clarkson era where they proved that you can run a car on the basically by on the, on the methane that cow farts produce okay well, the TARDIS would be big enough for like a, a load of carriers, <laughs> wouldn't it? How much methane do you think you'd need to time travel? Uh, or, did, or, did, or did Top Gear not cover that? I think, well, no. I think, uh, the last count, I think it was a herd of about 7 billion or me after a curry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Same end product, I suppose. <laughs> Thank you, Sai. That was the joke. Does, yes, does, indeed. Does the TARDIS go 88 miles an hour then as well to travel back in time, or is that just a DeLorean thing? It has to oh, at some to. point. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the sound it makes, as we find out at some point in the, in the future, is that the actual sound the TARDIS makes is basically the handbrake on. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's great. Anyway. Um... <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah, uh, we are in the streets now of Victorian uh, Cardiff. And we have the duo from The Undertakers. So the young girl, Gwyneth, I think her name is, isn't it? Is that correct? Winneth, yeah. Winneth, yes. And the gentleman as well, whose name escapes me as well, sorry. Mr. Sneed. Mr. Sneed. Okay. Um, And they're out on their uh, carriage looking for a dead old lady, basically. And the mortician is telling Gwyneth to, you know, use the sight to find her. And Gwyneth explains that before she died, she was excited about seeing the great man. And this then cuts to our first sighting of Charles Dickens, who is getting ready for his performance that evening, um, moaning about how he's got no partner, no 
family or anything like that and he's on his own and he's running out of ideas for books and and all that sort of stuff and i i I liked this and i mean it goes into the whole episode in general really and it's something we've discussed before on the doctor who pod with regards to pacing of episodes and also we've covered it benny you and i on the waiting with with quantum leap some episodes can move too quickly some can move um too slowly and then feel like they're rushing to a conclusion at the end yeah but this, I feel, sets enough with regards to the characters and getting to know the characters early on without it dragging too much. Because, I mean, ultimately, this episode is only about 45 minutes long, isn't it? So I think this makes me already think this is being paced relatively well. well what did you guys think? Go on, Benny. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I, I won't jump in for us. Benny, I won't yeah. be in <laughs> Um, no, I think uh, to be honest, I can't really say anything more. Really, yeah. It's like uh, even though this is probably like I don't know how many times I've watched it. It has been a while since I've watched this episode. In fairness, but even watching it back, and I remember quite a lot of it, obviously, because I've seen it quite a few times. But yeah, pacing wise, nothing felt really like um, like rushed or even like less. Like we've had a few episodes of Constantly Lows. You've already stated that like they it seems to drag 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 and all of a sudden the last five minutes they wrap everything up and it's like well what about this and what about that whereas this is pretty good and i like the fact that the gwyneth character obviously we didn't know this at the time obviously later on she becomes the actress in torchwood but how they sort of dive more and more into what what she's about and who she is um so again i think you've got good characters but not so much with mr sneed but i think to be honest pick up on what type of person he is quite quickly so you don't really need it yeah. and actually even with uh, charles dickens to a degree it's quite um interesting to see how he because he again he's quite a pompous uh, character but you know near the end he's not so much but because he's got that higher than i'm clever than everybody else sort of attitude and now now he's being presented with things that are very much not of this world and he's like no this is mirrors this is string this is that this and he just can't find any logical answers which i quite like having that character try and go debunk it but actually can't and then has to finally accept that these things are real <laughs> basically so mm. yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, prime, it's prime Russell T Davis in a way you know this era the the focus and the time is given to the characters that need it because we don't need any we don't need any character development for Sneed he's a snivelling shithead who you know he, he's Essentially, a bit of a you know, a bit of a half arser. He's he's got stuff on the cheap. He, he's only interested in in his business and what's good for him. You don't need him to be anything more than that. For Gwyneth, you need the emotional stakes and the investment that we get to near the end, which which I really love. And, and you know, the the call back in uh, an episode we looked at earlier in the season, uh, the uh, at Journey's End, when Davros is taunting the Doctor and saying about you know how many people have died for you, and Gwyneth is in that. Um, you know, spoiler alert if you've not seen the episode and you're listening to it run through it. But you know, yeah. Gwyneth is in that. Yeah. After she sacrificed herself to first to, you know, try and help the girl through the rift and then to ultimately stop them taking over. And the doctor's very pushy with it as well. Like you you need to do this because his own guilt of the whole time war and obviously again we find all that out later on, but like the whole time war and what he had to do in order to stop this war from tearing the universe apart. Um mm. He feels like because they're telling him that you know I know we haven't got there yet, but this, these creatures are saying that there are we are very few, we're dying, we're almost extinct. So he knows what that's like to be part of an extinct race at this point. So he's very pushy 
with Gwyneth to fix this problem, basically. Oh, yeah, there's going to be... I imagine we're going to explore that at length because when you've got the Doctor and Rose at sort of opposite ends, it's um, it really is it really is interesting and, and there's much more to this episode than I gave it credit for. Um, but if, I should, I'll, if you don't mind so much, I'll just take over for a second because yeah, I mentioned... Cra- yeah, about, by, I men- by all means, crack on. I mentioned about the Doctor and Rose and the kind of early, obviously early days in the TARDIS together. And the, the Doctor comes out with, when she's all, you know, ready and, and dressed up, you look beautiful considering you're human. Yes. And uh, one thing I did love is Rose's eagerness to be the one to open the door and saying, you know, you've done this millions of times. This is my first one. I'm having this. Yeah. And they made, they made a really big deal with the, with the shots and the music of this being her first step into the past. And I thought that was fantastic. Yes. Yeah, really, really good. Again, I think the character of Rose, similar to how we've spoke about uh, Eccleston, Eccleston's Doctor itself in previous episodes, Dan, the character of Rose, I think, is essential for the rebooting, restarting of, of Doctor Who, the, the beginning of New Who, so to speak. Because if they got that casting wrong, or if they got the dialogue wrong, or if they got the, the, the writing for that character wrong, it could have just killed this show before it even got going. Yeah. The Doctor is obviously the most important aspect of the show, of course. However, Rose's relationship with the Doctor, and then especially when you know the, the regeneration happens and we get the tenant era with Rose as well, Rose's relationship and interactions and so on is such an integral part of New Who early on. If it didn't work or it wasn't written as well, and with these little moments, in theory, little moments, but they're not, you know, you actually look at the context of them, they're huge. She's stepping out, you know, she stepped into the box in one place, she's stepping out now, and it's snowing, and she's in the past. It's a massive thing for this individual to be experiencing. But in the context of the show, like zombies and, you know, bodies waking up and aliens possessing people and all this sort of stuff, in the context of the show, her stepping out of the TARDIS for the first time onto the snow could kind of be overlooked as quite a small moment, really, in, in, the, in the bigger scheme of this script. But it's such an important moment for the context of where we go with the whole story arc as well. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the whole thing with Rose is that if they got that wrong, it could have cut the show off at the knees at the very mm. beginning. And again, it's a testament again, I think to quite an inspired bit of casting and also then it's just fantastic writing. Yeah. It became like a perfect, a perfect storm of everything, the writing, the casting, the performance, everything, because Rose, particularly in this episode is very much the relatable aspect and, and the conscience, you know, yes. from, from the, from the human point of view, which is the viewer, you know, you're more likely to, to relate to it and can deal with and yeah, yeah, I can't really add any more than that. Which you, it, it is all just fantastic, and and how they sort of how it played out over Christmas bees eight years when we finally got round to the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, there we go. That's amazing. And then just on a completely different note, something else I loved is when you get the first shot of the theatre crowd as Dickens is about to come out, and you can see the old woman there, and she's just got a very slight blue tinge to her face yes it, it manages to be both subtle and prominent at the same time and i don't know how they really manage that because but it was so effective and looked so good well i mean okay let, let's let's jump into that now then i suppose um something that we speak about a great deal on the show is the special effects 
how they've aged well or not. I CGI compares to practical effects and so on. Now, both Dan and I, Benny, have been critical of some of the CGI effects, especially from New Who in the beginning. So Eccleston and early Tennant and so on. How do you think... I mean, the effects here are relatively simple. There's a lot of wispy lights and almost... I almost got Raiders of Lost Ark vibes at the end when they open the arc up and these things start flying around and so on. Yeah. With regards to the gelf and and the the gas and and the, the sort of images of these almost ghostly silhouettes of these these aliens flying about, how do you think the special effects have aged? Considering they're pushing well, pushing two decades now old. The in this particular episode, I'm going to say I think they've aged fairly well. There is the bit where you see the more silhouette of the gas creature when it obviously it goes from blue to orange at one point and i think that hasn't aged quite well but the wispiness and the, the effects on the woman's face and the in the fella's face when they get to you know like essentially possessed by this gas creature okay. is i think it suits the the backdrop of the industrial age the of the uh the time in cardiff you know and all that kind of stuff so um it doesn't sit i think it sits all right to be fair there are a few moments where it's a bit cheesy but i mean generally i think if you're going to give it a score, I'd say probably give it about a 7 out of 10, to be fair, for what it is. I mean, problem is, the next episode is Aliens of London and the <laughs> Slovene. Yeah. Um, not so much. Uh, you know, it hasn't. Mm. some of the practical stuff's okay, but it's still a bit cheesy. But the uh, some of the other computer stuff isn't good. But in this one, because it's it's barely it's subtle isn't it i guess it's barely it's not like we're not it's not rammed down our face every three seconds to a degree so um yeah i think this particular episode has aged fairly well but again 3d graphics and mapping and all that kind of stuff obviously is it progresses so quickly you know if you go video games very quickly if you look at old school 3d video games they look freaking awful now but then if you look at an old 2d because the art style it still looks pretty good so um yeah, overly, I think this in this one is pretty good. Okay, Dan, what, what did you think? Um, I thought this was this was one of the better aged ones. Yeah, yes. Um, and it's it's one of those where it feels like they did they did the best they could with the budget they had because I don't think this was seen as one of the sort of priority episodes, if you like, in terms of needing needing a massive amount of uh, of effects budget pumped into it. But I think what they did complemented everything very well like the subtle blue tinges to people and even the gas monsters like Benny says it could be a little bit it could be a little bit outdated and whatnot but I'm I'm more inclined to look favorably on this because I think it, it whatever they did even when it was cheesy it added to everything going on I think the story yeah. is good enough that you can kind of overlook the you know the 3d sort of image of the of the ghostly figure coming through the archway or whatever but other than that, I think, like you said, the white, the blue tinges, sorry, and the the wisps and stuff look pretty pretty cool. Even down to the practical effect of just using the flame to flicker. I know it's only a little thing, but it when the gas goes into it, it's it's simple but effective. Yeah, it really isn't. So one of those prime moments with the gas goes flying around is while Dickens is giving his performance, which is where we've just got to here, and he's doing the the door knock a bit from Christmas Carol. And just at that point, the woman's face starts glowing and he yells, you know, what phantasmagoria is this, which is just a fantastic word, phantasmagoria. And everybody's losing their minds as, as these spirits leave this woman's body. And Dickens is there trying to call it a, a lantern trick 
and all of that. And, and it's just a nice point where everybody converges. Because, you know, we get Gwyneth and Sneed pulling up. The Doctor and Rose hear the uh, hear the shouts and the screams just after Rose is saying she doesn't really give a shit where she is because she's in the past. And it becomes like a nice sort of focal point for everybody to meet and then move the story onwards. Yes, it does. I, I like this bit as well. It Well, I say I like it. It's kind of humorous, but I don't know if it was intentional. You've got the old lady in the middle of the theatre seating. Everyone else is scarpering, as you would, because there's a dead lass there with blue shiny things coming out of her freaking face for quite a load. And everyone's screaming and running away. And you've got all these this gas, like ghosts, swirling in the sky. And you've got Gwyneth going, there she is. It's like, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world can see that. Thank yes, you, exactly. Captain Obvious. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, but the um, it's it's uh, we talk about Rose's character as well, and as Sneed and uh, and Gwyneth sort of just just bundle the body out of there. Rose is the one that spots what's going on and and just runs off, whereas the Doctor's just like, oh wow, Charles Dickens, I want to meet the famous person. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's. I mean, the Doctor. The Doctor is with Dickens for a while as as the Undertaker, well, the, the Undertakers, I suppose I'll call them, uh, take Rose. The Doctor then twigs quite <laughs> that's, early on. That's, that's a whole different crossover. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, but the Doctor here, he's quite early on twigged that they're made of gas. This He, he sees it here, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he gets it pretty early on, which I think you kind of need in this situation it's it could be easy to have this sort of construed as an oh that's a convenient bit of knowledge for the doctor to have but because the doctor's so fucking smart in general it makes perfect sense mm. um, yes i just set eccleston up though like from the moment he meets rose pretty much he's very much oh yeah i've seen everything and all this and all that so there's no point even it's very well pointed out that like actually it's, it's a, a writing device of like oh yeah the doctor knows what it is straight away but actually it doesn't feel out of place again because of who the doctor is, as you've already said, really. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And just the next bit when uh, Rose, Rose gets chloroformed for a trouble of, uh, of being worried about what the, what they're doing to this. Uh, Why is this guy who... carrying chloroform round anyway? Is it it's just like, it's, is it, this something they use in this line of work or? It just seems the type, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> what, a, a bit, a bit rapey or something you mean, or? Rose accused him well, of cop in a field as well. So, yeah. well, there, yeah. there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, that was going to mention that later on. But yes, I, not to put too fine a point on it, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Sneed is a bit of a toucher. He is, isn't he? He's a bit of a wrong un. But yeah. it's with all that with all that nastiness. Then you get the doctor in, in just commandeering Charles Dickens' coach and basically winning him over by just being overly flattering about his work. Yes, you're a genius, <laughs> and, and the, uh, the 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 um, I don't know what you call them, the driver. I suppose it would still be referred to as, wouldn't it? Asking yeah. Dickens, drop me to get rid of him, and he calls him a genius. He's like, oh no, no, I think he can stay. <laughs> See, the, the, this is the, but this is the point where I don't think Simon Callow was acting. You know, I think he would actually be like that in real life. And I'm like, I'm basing this on about three interviews I've ever seen. It's one of those irrational sort of things that you put together in your head. Right. But I'm pretty sure he. He's that level of arrogant bastard where he'd be just really susceptible to flattery. Fair enough. Um, Rose is now at the funeral parlour, and something that sort of jumps out to me here is that they put her body on a, they lie her down on a table or whatever with coffins all around in the, in the back room where they work. And Gwyneth turns around and says, "She's still alive." So I mean, she sounds almost surprised. Was she expecting? 
the old guy to have killed her? Is that the sort of scenario this this guy runs? Or maybe she's just pointing out that he's put her in the room where the bodies are. Ah. That's where that's where the, that's where the dead ones normally go. I see. <laughs> the, the alive ones normally go to your special room in the basement, Mister Sneed. Yeah, yeah, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, little Victorian <laughs> horn dog. Um. <laughs> that's not really the way to do it. I was, I was calling you out for being a pervert again you made it sound almost fucking <laughs> <laughs> almost jovial sire <laughs> i don't know that basement looked very bloody sore like when you get down there mind there's some weird shit going down I mean, that there. was that was some hostile shit wasn't it yeah i would just might, 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 might want to cut this whole conversation to be fair yeah just to be clear there is nothing jovial about molesting time travelers or people who don't travel <laughs> time just to be clear okay you could have um, just left it you could have you could you could have just left it at molesting Right, there is yeah. nothing you feel about molesting. There is not, indeed. There is not, indeed. Uh, Rose wakes up in this room and obviously, you know, is a bit disorientated and so on. And this is where we get, I think, another little old school horror aspect to this episode. And we get a few of those. We get that it's all at night. It's all by uh, gaslight or candlelight and so on. Um, we're coming very quickly to the seance, which is another old creepy trick of these these sort of you know certain era of television and film. But here she's woken up and looking around, and behind her, the bodies start waking mm-hmm. up, and it's that kind of the, the the build up to what's coming is what's scary, as opposed to when the the supposed scary thing actually arrives. It's the tense build up to those moments, Dan, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was brilliant. I love that shot. And then, it, but just before this as well, when Sneed and Gwyneth leave the room, as they leave the room, the gas lights, the, the flames go a little bit higher mm. and flicker and stuff like that. So you know something's about to go down. And he, like I say, it's classic horror, you know, horror trick. And I absolutely love it. And then it, it's a rare miss in the episode where I think it's the body of Mr. Redpath gets up and Rose just looks at him and just goes, you are right. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. I said I said about Rose being the relatable, as, relatable aspect of the show from a human point of view. That is the point where you end up with brown pants. Oh, without that, <laughs> not just that, you that. are right. It, it's yeah. full on. It, it's like you've sat in shepherd's pie. You know, <laughs> she's there <laughs> saying it. She's there. She's there asking this obviously dead person who's walking towards her. Is this a wind up? Or are you playing some kind of a joke? And it's like, look, you've just tra- you've travelled in time. You've already seen the future. You've seen plastic beings come alive in your own time and start like, smashing the place up. You've you've seen dead bodies walking around a theatre. And now you're going, oh, no, all of that stuff, that was real. But this guy, this guy with the long hair, he's on a wind-up here. I don't believe this one. And it's talking like, to a face, literally a stretched-out face in the last episode as well. But yeah... There's yeah. the guy winding her up, obviously. Yeah, this this one, this one, she does not believe. Yeah, yeah three people and a three people and a flat person are, are are all fine and dandy, but nah, he's got to be on. He's just got to be makeup, that lad. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Rose, give your head a wobble, love, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> effectively, there's you know a, a commotion. Then she's screaming and yelling, and and there's the two bodies trying to get at her, which alerts the doctor to whereabouts she is. And he goes in and very easily gets Rose away from the the walking dead people before they then, I suppose, communicate properly. 
by saying uh, they need to, you know, they need to open the rift. They're dying. They need to come through. They can't maintain this form for long, and so on. And that kind of then sets up the. I don't want to say conflict because maybe that word's a bit a bit too strong. But the discussions then between the Doctor and other characters, and with regards to the Doctor wanting to help the 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 Galf, I think they're called, aren't they, who are dying out. Whereas other people are like, well, Rose especially is kind of like, no, hang on, we can't do that. It's the first moment where we kind of see the desperation of the the aliens saying they're dying out and they need help, and the Doctor wanting to help, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And this is, it's sort of, the two characters' perspectives are really sort of shining through. Like Benny mentioned earlier, the Doctor knowing what it's like to be the last of a dying race and wanting to atone and, and save the Gelf. And then Rose, Rose's priority is Gwyneth and her safety because Rose has, you know, she's spent all, all her life, you know, working, you know, working retail, being a bit downtrodden and maybe, you know, maybe feeling like nothing special. And she hates seeing that in other people, so she doesn't want Gwyneth to carry on being exploited. So it's, it really does bring about some interesting discussion later on. Mm, yeah, indeed. Um, we then also get a real clever little touch where everyone is now upstairs discussing what they're going to do. And Gwyneth is going around making everyone drinks and so on. And she passes the doctor a cup of tea and says, two sugars, sir, just how you like it. And the doctor kind of gives a look, which I don't know if the first time I watched this, I would have necessarily picked up on. I mean, it's a long time ago. I'm not sure if I would have or not. But watching it back now and knowing where we head with this, it's that thing of, oh, okay, I see that. That's very yeah. clever. Yeah, it's that kind of knowing thing, isn't it? Um, I, I definitely didn't notice it on the first, I think, six times I watched this. I don't know if you ever picked up on it, Benny, before uh, before today. Yeah, I mean, obviously, earlier on in the episode, she does that whole, like, trying to find the old lady. So you think, oh, there's something going on there. But yeah, I didn't... It's hard to remember, really, because watching it the first time, but especially today, obviously, you go, oh, yeah, she she somehow can read the Doctor or she has got something going on with her. Obviously, then we go into that bit a bit late. I think it's after this, isn't it, where she has that conversation with Rose and stuff yes. uh, in, that, mm-hmm. in the pantry or whatever, or the kitchen, whatever it is they're in, and the things that she can kind of kind of pick up on, whether she can see it or whether she just feels... I have not whether she mentions you know, uh, metal machines carrying people on the road and in the sky. So she's definitely got, well, what you most people will call psychic or the mind's eye or whatever they call it. So, um, but uh, yeah, a little subtle little, little thing of like, oh yeah, she knows how the doctor, I don't think I knew how the doctor took his tea, to be honest. I don't think we've ever had that conversation, <laughs> to be honest, of like, how do you take your tea, doctor? You know, so <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen yeah. the doctor take a drink of tea before. So, I, you know, maybe this is the one and only time I have no idea. But this is this is kind of like the the mid episode sort of character building, just sort of dialogue dump, isn't it? In in various sort of shapes and forms, because we see we establish all, all the thing about the rift, and this has caused that funeral parlor to be the subject of ghost stories and and things like that. That's how Sneed got the place cheap, and they're good for business, and it causes Dickens to. You know, he's try, he goes off and he's trying to hear the ghast ghosts. The doctors told him to help or shut up and get out. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, Dickens is really having this sort of crisis, you know, existential crisis of, of was I a force for good in, in, you know, when this world is actually full of spectres, have I wasted my life? And that's when we get into the, the conversation with Gwyneth and, and Rose, like you said. And our, I think our first mention 
of the big bad wolf because we get this great delivery from Eve Miles where she's saying about how Rose has come such a long way. She, it's, she's from London, but not as she's ever seen it in the drawings. People rushing about half naked for shame, you know, real sign of the times and <laughs> the metal boxes that you mentioned. And then she starts saying the things you've seen, the darkness, the big bad wolf. Looking back on it now, it, what, a, what, a, what a moment that is. But at the time, it was so throwaway. Yeah, it was nothing at the time, wasn't it? It was nothing. It was kind. Of, it felt like it felt like what they portrayed Gwyneth to be, who's maybe you know a little bit un, a little bit uneducated, a little bit immature, just referencing you know referencing a story that she's heard. But it goes on to be so much more, and I just in hindsight, absolutely fucking love that bit. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so clever, so clever. Ah. Uh, we then, I suppose, have the decision to hold a seance, don't we? As you do. Yeah, as you do. I mean, it's not creepy enough with dead bodies wandering about. Let's try and chat to them. And we have, again, Dickens is not convinced, but he has a go anyway. They all sit down, start start trying mm. to do, carry on this, this seance stuff here. And it's all based upon the fact that Gwyneth apparently has grown up in that house, which is on the rift. And she has, well, the doctor refers to her as the key, doesn't he? Sorry, Benny, you were going to say something then. Yeah, I was just, uh, no, I was just going to say, in terms of the um, the seance and stuff, um, when Dickens is, oh, this is just luminescent, so glowing uh, parts and, you know, a, a contraption between the legs and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to lie, my mind went to Only Fools and Horses when they do the seance for some reason because of the stuff going on there. That's a completely <laughs> different show, obviously. <laughs> but my mind did go there briefly, but... Again, I kind of like the fact that Dickens isn't just going, the doctor must be right all the time. It's actually quite nice to have somebody who's not full on like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll follow you, doctor. So he's got his own mind in a sense. Not that Rose hasn't, but Rose has got a lot of trust in the doctor because of what she's seen so far. And, you know, to a degree, she'll sort of like trust him with uh, how to deal with things to a degree. Dickens Mm. is obviously quite a clever bloke, uh, was... um, and I do like the fact that early on you mentioned that the doctor does tend to shut, either help or shut up. And I quite like that because Dickens is very much the loud voice in the room going, you listen to me. This is all bullshit, basically. Um, so uh, and I love the fact that the doctor, even though it does come across a little bit harsh, but I think it was needed in that moment. And I like the fact that he also apologizes to him a bit later on as well, like just saying, sorry, I shouted at you, but you can see that, you know, this is X, Y, and Z, but yeah, for some reason, my mind went to Only Fools and Horses when I saw these guys <laughs> sitting down the table. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's we've, we've also glossed over the um, the best line in the entire show, which in this entire show where Dickens is there giving it the bollocks about, this is precisely the type of mummery I strive to unmask. And Christopher Eccleston just turns around and says, don't antagonise her, I love a happy medium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I rolled my eyes at that. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh, God. But oh. it's the kind of joke I would make, though, as well. So, you know. Yeah. I've <laughs> rolled dad my, jokes. Rolled my eyes and then chuckled heartily. Great stuff. <laughs> um, the the Galf use the seance to then communicate via Gwyneth, and we get the line, pity the Galf, which they repeat a few times. So it's you know, really. I'm not. I'm not saying it's slapping you around the face, as in it's not subtle, but the way they talk, it works really well in that they they are very to the point about trying to get this message across, not just as as characters, not just as the Gelf, 
talking to the doctor and the others present trying to say to them we need your help pity the gal and so on but also us as viewers it's really sort of hammering home to us when we're sat watching i think these the, this race need assistance perhaps they're not all that scary even though they are you know abducting dead bodies i suppose is it, that's how i took it anyway how did you guys feel about this whole pity the gal help us and, and so on it's weird actually because looking back at this episode now um I didn't necessarily pick up it on at the time, but um, the they, they 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 give the urgency, don't they? Of like, oh, we need help, and they have got the, like the childlike voice as well, which I think adds to it. Um, like, so they need help, and they've only got so much time before they are going to die out, is what we're being told, or whatever. There's only a few of them left. Um, but now looking as we're talking about it, looking back at it, that opening, not the opening scene, but when Rose is trapped in that room with two of them, essentially. They don't communicate, but as soon as they're outnumbered, they go, "Oh, help me! I need you need to you need to help." But yet they didn't communicate with Rose at all on a one-on-one basis because obviously there's okay. more things going on, isn't there? Which we find out later on. But looking right. back at it now, Rose by herself was going to basically be abducted, but because they were then outnumbered by all the other people, uh, obviously Dickens and you know Steed and all that were there, and Doctor Doctor's like, "What? what who are you? What do you need?" Then they go, oh, we're 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 really sorry, but we need help and blah blah blah. So, very um, uh, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but false pretenses, a ruse, whatever you want to call it. A ruse is probably a good word with Dickens. To be fair, this is a ruse Do going on basically. I never even thought of that until you just said it, and you're and, spot on the money. And do you know why? Do you know why they didn't communicate beforehand? Because they didn't have Gwyneth. Ah. Oh, Gwyneth, exactly, maybe. Gwyneth, Gwyneth born on the rift and Gwyneth, the doctor said Gwyneth's the key mm-hmm. Gwyneth is the one that can channel them because Gwyneth has a connection to the rift so uh, they, couldn't, they, okay. couldn't commu- they couldn't communicate over they couldn't communicate through the other bodies because the other bodies weren't true gateways we've already established by this point that they have uh, a, lim- okay. a, li- a limited time span in each body that time span is then extended when inhabiting Gwyneth and being able to project their true form into our universe so oh, it, well, okay. it is it is a ruse, obviously, because we know that they're actually looking to take over rather than anything else. But that's the reason why they couldn't communicate before. Mm, oh, okay, yeah. okay, fair enough. I, yeah. I see. I took it as them just trying to abduct another person. But obviously, like you said, they what would happen if they went took a live person? Although they don't do that, they kill them and then they take the body. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, they make a big deal about needing the corpses and and making yeah. a really morbidly logical argument. They manage to get a lot across in a few sentences, which is exactly what they need to do because of the restrictions I mentioned before. You know, they've still got a limited time to communicate to communicate through Gwyneth. So they've, they've got the fact that they're facing extinction, lost physical form in the time war, which is going to pluck on the Doctor's heartstrings. They're yes. trapped in a gaseous state. They want to use the corpses to live again. The dead are abandoned. Give them to us. Pity the gulf. They, leave, they drop that bombshell and... and and off the foot to let the Doctor and Rose argue it out. But also, maybe they, once they, because they mentioned the Time War, so did they know the Doctor was a Time Lord as well? So maybe that's where they held their advances as well, as well as just, obviously, like you said, having Gwyneth there to communicate. Did they okay. hold their advances because they went, oh, that's a Time Lord. Maybe, I don't know how they would necessarily know that, but they, they're aware of the Time War at least, so... We can use this to our advantage to get, to, to expedite things. And yes, have, yeah. Yeah. And have, have the key put, you know, put at the heart of the rift. Yeah, could well be mm, interesting. And 
Gwyneth is basically spelled out then as being the only chance of the Gauss survival. And we get the the conversation back and forth between the Doctor and Rose before Gwyneth herself says, don't I get a say? It is me, after all. It's a fair yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is, yeah. And the Doctor is very adamant. We must help this race. He's really pushing for this. So they decide to use Gwyneth as the key, or, or she she says she'll do it to help this this race sort of pass through to their world, or however you want to word it. So they decide that the 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 best place, the gateway, I suppose, is the weakest spot in the house where most of the ghostly goings on has occurred, which is the morgue, because of course it fucking is. You know yeah. why wouldn't it be down in the depths of the building, surrounded by bodies in the creepy? It's never, you know, it's never, you know, upstairs in the sunroom or, you know, the games room or anything like. That. It's always the fucking basement or the yeah, morgue, the, isn't it? The crack. Sorry, Benny, go on. No, I was just going to say, just obviously the rift is going to be more at the base of the building, anyways, and it obviously we know that going forward in Torchwood, so we don't know this necessarily now because we're not even anywhere near Torchwood yet in a sense of a thing. So, but. It may, I understand where you're coming from, though. It's either the attic or the basement. I don't really know why. It's just old <laughs> horror. Old yeah, horror yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. It works perfectly. But <laughs> it's just one of those things. The haunted, the haunted, the haunted gazebo doesn't quite have, have the same uh, ring to it, does it? <laughs> I love the fact that Rose says that as well. You couldn't say gazebo, could you? <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I forgot to write that down. I knew the word gazebo was in my head for some reason. <laughs> uh, when <laughs> The doctor... Sorry, Sorry, the doctor has to explain it to Sneed that the girls are trying to get through, and he's like, "Oh, they're from Brecon." So he said, "It's like they're trying to get from Love Brecon that. to Brecon to Cardiff, but the road's blocked." <laughs> <laughs> well, just quickly before we move on, just um, him himself is actually in like Gavin and Stacey. He's actually a character in like in one of the episodes, and the fellow that talks to Charles Dickens is also a, a, an actor that goes into Gavin and Stacey as well, and they're like little parts, but they are both in it. And you mentioned the whole, like, oh, they're foreigners or aliens. Oh, what, from Brecon? And obviously you've got the joke in Gavin and Stacey, which is, I, can't, I told him to shove it at £5 for a chair or whatever it is. I told you that these blooming foreigners coming over here taking our jobs. Oh, where's he from? Poland? No, no, Newport. And it's just, again, <laughs> it seems to be a Welsh thing, doesn't it? I don't know whether that... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten um, about that line. I got a minute it was from Newport. He took that very personally. <laughs> Brilliant. Um what I did like about this is, I suppose, we're basically at the, at the moment now where the, uh, the the big reveal happens, and they're not, you know, a, a dying race looking for survival or struggling. It's they're almost they're basically invading, aren't they? They're, they're, this is the this is the situation, and there's a moment with Rose, literally right before it kicks off, that I think was again so well done. That it, it really adds to the scenario because you've got the Gelf saying, oh, they're here. Praise the doctor. They've come to help. Praise the doctor. And Rose outright asks the question, you won't hurt her, will you? And they just don't answer. They don't even acknowledge that question has been asked. And so, so that to me was, you know, the first real telltale sign of, OK, something's not right here. Does that make sense? And yeah, it does. And after after all the times I've watched this, I still didn't pick up on that. Okay, I didn't even notice it. So you've you've kind of you've put a whole new spin on it for me there. Yeah, that that bit again. It's very adamant question of you won't hurt her. Oh, blah blah blah. Save us. You know, they don't even like acknowledge it. Like you know, mm. size already said. So yeah, I, I that, again whether I picked up on that the first time I watched it, probably not. But I definitely did this time. But then obviously you've got the advantage of already seeing the episode, so you know 
how the story kind of plays out. So, but um, obviously, and also do another podcast with Sai and analyzing these TV shows. You, I've realized you start picking up on things you may not have picked up, even with stuff I've never seen before. Now I see stuff in the background that I go, that that'll play in later, mm-hmm. or that's a thing, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> when you start analyzing these shows and actually, and it's it's really interesting because you dive into the characters a lot more. Again, my first experience with Christopher Eccleston, I was like, nah, he's a bit of a. I thought he was a bit of a douche, to be honest, but. In terms of the way he plays this doctor, now that we know the 50th anniversary and everything, it goes full circle, that he is dealing with a lot of like loss, regret, guilt, but yeah. you don't necessarily know that when you first watch the very first episode or even into these in that first season of Doctor Who. It all comes apparent as we see more of like the doctor as a character grow over these next, what, eight seasons, nine seasons, whatever it is, so or six, seven seasons, whatever. Yeah, yeah, good shape. Uh, this is when we get the, I suppose, uh, as Benny mentioned, the the slightly more ropey of the special effects. When the the sort of wispy blue gas ghosts that are flying around, the main one above Gwyneth as she's in this archway, kind of turns red and almost devil like. I think yeah. is, is, is I think I think that must be an intentional thing. They're going for this kind of the, devilish aspect to that. Yeah. The what I now, as I'm thinking about it, because we're talking about it, um, the blue is really good because it's subtle, so you can kind of get away. It's, it doesn't doesn't like it's not bright, basically. What I'm getting at, so it doesn't like show like the the quality of it. But I was just thinking, is because they turn it orange and red eyes and everything to make it evil. That's you know very obvious. They could have actually left the creatures somewhat blue and actually done red eyes instead of turning them all orange. So I think when they turn it orange, I think that's when it become it looks a bit cheesy. For me, it ends up, I think it ends up looking like a mascot from a hot sauce bottle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I think you're right in what you say, Benny. But the logic behind it must have been: we need to do a full sort of color palette swap to really yeah. hammer home how that this is now evil. Um, but one thing that I did like at this point was was the fact that Sneed gets killed. <laughs> wow, <Well>, he does. <laughs> and uh, and Charles Dickens quite comedically shits himself and runs away but does it in a very sort of victorian verbose manner i didn't note down exactly what he said but i think it was something like oh this is all too much for me and just just toddles off he doesn't say this but i feel like he should have because i'm paraphrasing it but he, one shall be leaving <laughs> is what you should say really <laughs> one has uh, oh, oh, oh dear doctor I, one seems to have shattered his pantaloons <laughs> <laughs> One has shepherd's pied himself. Need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So that that whole thing comes from, do you remember the the Simpsons episode where they go to see the bloodening? And uh, it's uh, it's it's that horror movie that's that, like supposed to be the scariest thing ever and it's got the kids in the back of the police van just staring at the villagers. And now you're thinking, I hope that shepherd's pie in my knickers. Um, it it works out to their advantage though doesn't it all all dickens you know pegging it with a bit of shepherd's pie in his pants in in that the doctor and rose end up basically cornered they're backed into a kind of uh cage at the back of the uh the the morgue um the doctor shuts the cage door and this is where we get a real 
a, a real proper staple of uh, horror movies and zombie films and so on because a lot of the bodies are waking up around them now they're all kind of trudging towards them in this kind of zombie way their arms out and you can almost imagine them going brains because that, that's the kind of that's, <laughs> that's the aspect i think they're trying to go for the simpsons and, reference there again is it brains, well, brains. the doctor and rose are in this small confined space just out of reach of the uh the dead bodies that are you know the gelf i guess and they're reaching through the cage to try and grab them can't quite get to them and this is when they're basically saying this is when we're gonna die and the doctor has this brilliant you know little run of dialogue where he says that he's seen world war five he's seen he's pushed boxes into the into the boston tea party and all this and now he's gonna die in cardiff in a dungeon in cardiff (laughs) yeah i like that i like that a lot but again it's very sort of old school horror-esque trope isn't it that that particular sort of moment oh, even, yeah. going, even going back to something like as as iconic as the michael jackson thriller video when the zombies were all breaking through the house and so on it, i got that kind of vibes from it oh mate it, it, it goes, that's, stuff like that goes right back to night of the living dead and george Romero. yes it really does and it, it's but it, it's it's still a great way of, of having your main characters in peril and it also yeah. gave them a bit of time for Rose, who's still new to time travel, to clear up her confusion about the whole thing. Saying, well, I can't die die in 1860 because I've not even been born yet. So, you know, she has a moment of thinking, oh, maybe I'm immortal, you know, because she's having like a bit of a power fantasy. (laughs) Maybe I could just walk out and just fuck them up. And the Doctor's establishing that time isn't linear and you can, you know, you can die at any point. You're very much mortal. I thought that was, to say this is the third episode in the series, it's a really good way of answering questions that the audience might be having as well. You know, maybe this is the first time they've watched a show with time travel on it. Maybe, you know, it's a younger audience, something like that. But I thought that was a real nice little bit to throw in. Yeah. She she mentions, doesn't she, earlier in the episode that, well, I know there's not blue ghosts walking around in my time. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Cause and effect, you know. So, um, again, not the first time she asked that question, but just in case you missed that, it's a great little moment within that, um, that cage where they're trying to hide. It's that classic... Um, device they use in films where yes they've got away from the bad guys oh but crap now you're trapped basically so mm. it's that sort of yes no like i can't remember what it's called but they do it in so many films uh, where like well die hard a good, a good example very quickly where he sl- he manages to tie himself to the fire hose get himself down the building and get inside the building so he's no longer falling and he's so he's away from the explosion he's no longer falling oh but crap now the fire hose is now falling which he's still attached to now he has to get out of it quickly so it's that sort of constant sort of on and off peril type thing so yes we're safe but we're trapped <laughs> so, yeah out of the frying pan into the fire sort of thing isn't it basically yeah it's more out of the frying pan into the fridge at this point Yes, yes. <laughs> this episode, you know, they're just yeah, trapped yeah. in there, but it's and it gives it gives a bit of chance for the redemption arc for Dickens as well, because while all this is going on, he's run outside being pursued by a couple of the Gelf, and then realizes that they can't survive outside. They have to be sort of not tethered to the gas somehow. They have to be near some gas, and he figures out that that could be used against them. But a really fun little touch you talk about seeing stuff in the background, Benny, the um, the door knocker blurred like in the christmas carol when he left the building i saw that i there's a lot of well even with like dickens's uh journey within this episode is very i'm not going to say exactly obviously but it's very reminiscent of scrooge to a degree but yeah that knocker is right there in front of the screen right in the middle glowing very similar to like you said christmas carol so who would have thought we'd be sat here talking about charles dickens knockers 
<laughs> well, me, because I know how these conversations go. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dickens is is he's you know decided upon this whole thing with the, the the gas and so on, and comes up with a plan of putting out the flames and turning up the gas to then, I suppose, blow the shit out of them all. I guess is where he's heading, Dan, isn't it? Well, it's to draw them out of the corpses um, mm-hmm. and have them just in the atmosphere because if they're not in the corpses, then they can't really do any damage. Is is his hypothesis, and it turns out he's right uh, because it turns you know Charles Dickens, bit of a smarty pants. Um, and but the best thing about it is he sets it all in motion. And he gives his little theory to the doctor, and he's like, "I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right." Oh. Oh shit! They're actually coming for. It. Oh, this better work quickly. <laughs> I do <laughs> hope this really pans out soon. Because <laughs> I'm making more shepherd's pie. <laughs> yeah. God, oh, that's got to be on a t-shirt, by the way. So one must leave. I've shepherd's pied myself with the Doctor Who thing going on. It's got to be done, mate. <laughs> oh man, people make so many suggestions. I've got a long old list to make. I'll tell you that. A time traveling, a time traveling man sandwich with uh, with man and Betty's faces <laughs> and bread. <laughs> oh, I like it. Uh, uh, this is when we we, we realise that um, Gwyneth is in quite a bit of trouble now, isn't she? She can't. Well, we basically find out that the doctor believes that she she was dead the moment she stepped into this arch. But at this point in time, we don't know that yet. She's kind of struggling. She can't leave where she is. She can't send them back, which is what the doctor's asking her to do. She can't manage to do that, but she can hold them where they are. The gas is obviously leaking into this building. Rose has been took out already because she's struggling for her breath. Uh, Dickens has escorted her away from the danger. There's a box of matches, and the doctor then uh, does his best 80s action hero scene where he's running away, and the explosion goes off behind him, kind of wiping out the, the gulf and sadly... It's the end for Gwyneth as well, isn't it? And as you brilliantly brought up earlier, Dan, it's one of those moments where somebody has sacrificed themselves for the Doctor or for the greater good, which gets harked back upon in later stories, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and one thing that I kind of I noticed that we didn't touch upon later, but I wanted to save till now, is that Gwyneth ultimately decides to to help the girl because they've been whispering to her throughout her life. And, and, you know, that coupled with the sight, she calls them her angels. And she talks about her parents who both died when she was young and taken in by Mr. Sneed and all that. And, and her parents would want her to do this. And she thinks she's on a holy mission. So she believes in these things mm-hmm. so, so completely that she's willing to do anything. And the moment that the doctor basically says that they're not angels, they're liars and it'll save this world and the future if she can send them back. That is a hell of a lot to go through in a very short space of time. Yeah. And she's obviously stuck there, and the doctor checks her pulse, and she she has died, and she must know that she's dead. Dead anyway. But effectively, her life's fallen apart before it's even begun, really. Yes. And she may, it, it's a much more tragic and emotional sacrifice than than I ever gave it credit for. Because obviously the first time I watched this, I was a 16-year-old shithead kid. You know, the subtlety of all of that was completely lost on me. But looking back on it, that is pretty bloody powerful. And we get to see that in The Doctor as well, and how much he, he values everybody's life, not just trying to save the girl. But he, he gives her a, a little kiss on the head. 
it says he's sorry says thank you and and then we get the you know the 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 action shot of him of him running out of the building but it is a much more powerful scene than than i'd ever considered Mm, it is it is it's very powerful indeed yeah very sad ending to a real nice character i think it's one of those characters that we mentioned it before we go back to eccleston the eccleston era itself the the young girl who was looking after the orphans as they're running around in london and so on that wasn't it we said that she was a great character and it makes us want to see more of her but if we saw more of her it may take away from how great she was i guess yeah yeah nancy was a fantastic character you that's got it Gwyneth nancy here. yeah yeah i knew i knew you'd forgotten her name so i thought i'd just fill that in for you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it, it's a, you know sort of setting the stall out early um what did you make of that uh that end scene benny it's um I'm as we talk, as you guys were talking about it I was very much like because the doc said she was already dead and I thought well she's not she's talking but then I realised that she's she ain't gonna they're not gonna let her go because she like you said she's the key f- to cross the bridge from the other side essentially so um but yeah it's quite a, it's a very even back when I watched it the first time it's one of those first episodes where you really feel it if that makes sense um the only other time I would say in the earliest stuff I would say is girl in the fireplace when uh, oh. Tennant gets the letter to say that she's, you know, no, no longer there. So um, it's one of those, but again, I think it's got more meaning now being older and, you know, picking up on nuances of characters and the depth of the stories and stuff. Cause you can take it for what it is. Obviously any, any TV show, you can just look at it and go, yeah, that was good. They did that and they did that. Or you can do what we're doing and literally sit here and dive into even just, you could do a whole episode just on Eccleston's doctor like i said a minute briefly like saying the whole like the guilt that he's feeling but again we don't know any of this until later on but seeing her sacrifice she's very like you've already said you've already uh, nailed it straight away with the she's heard these voices all her life she's very much a godly person she very much believes she does mention in the episode that she's going to be with her mum again and this is where we get that thing with rose as well about her dad passing away and stuff and how did you know that and stuff um but yeah it's a very again the, the what you take what you want from it but if the more you look into it it's a very sad moment and also and the rose net hits it on the head near the end there where she said she saved the world and nobody's ever going to know which makes it yeah. even sadder yeah and that harks back to again when we cover the journey's end when donna saves the saves 27 planets and saves the whole of reality yeah and and she'll never know you know but there were planets out there you know singing a name and but this is to me, this is even sadder because Donna might not remember it, but other, but others will. Whereas only the handful, of, only the four people or three people now who were there and watched Gwyneth do what she did will ever know. Mm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, that's not where we, we, we sort of end completely, though. We have a little bit afterwards. Uh, Dickens is inspired by what he's seen. He's adamant he's going to go and spend some time with his family. He's he's reinvigorated as a writer, I suppose. He, he's full of ideas and excitement and so on. He then, I like this as well, because this was very subtle. It wasn't too in your face. It, Dickens asked the doctor, who is he? And he just explains, oh, I'm, I'm just a friend passing through sort of thing. And then asks, you have knowledge about the future and so on. My books, do they last? And mm. I like little touches like that. I mean, the... The episode Vincent and the Doctor, 
is fantastic and pulls up the heartstrings. <clears throat> but the whole ethos of it is built around the, the character of Vincent and how he's remembered and these great moments uh, in the end of the episode when he sees his work in the galleries. Here, it's it's a similar kind of similar kind of volume, similar kind of plot device, but on a much more low key, subtle level. I think, Dan. Yeah, I can see where you draw the parallels there. And now thinking about it, they do uh, something a little bit similar with with Agatha Christie in uh, in the Catherine Tate era. Um, but yeah, I quite like this one because Dickens has already had his redemption arc. He's already reinvigorated, and, and he's asking this one last question, and. It's just, I think it's more for affirmation just to hear it from the doctor's mouth. Because the doctor, he already knows the doctor knows his work. But he needs to know that other people do as well. Yes. And for the doctor just to sit there and stand there and just say, oh yes, they last forever. And he gets that satisfaction of knowing, knowing that he hasn't wasted his life. As he was having a bit of a crisis about before. Yeah. And it, so just to roll back a bit as well, just, just this coupled with the line before when, they were trying to sort of figure out what was going on. And then Dickens summed it up just by saying, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, even for you, Doctor. And just that line, I think, got a bit of respect from the Doctor because he had to take a moment and just say, yeah, you're right, I don't know everything. Mm. But, you know, I'll take that on the chin, same as Dickens, you know, took it on the chin from him. And... Yeah, just a really nice sort of end to the uh, to the redemption arc, and the parallels get even more as well when uh, when Rose asks the Doctor, you know, what'll happen now because he's got his, you know, he's, he's going to tell the story, but I don't remember the book, and we find out that he dies the following year before he's even finished it because he he was going to write the mystery of Edwin Drood and the Blue Elementals. Mm. So even that in itself is bittersweet. Yes. Yeah, it is. It was, a, it, it was is. a nice moment, though, to hear, yeah. just have that moment. I think the music played a big part in that as well. Yeah. That, that, to hear that, you know, you, you know, obviously, we, even if you're not a reader or somebody who reads books, Charles Dickens is one of those names that everybody knows. And if anything, you know Christmas Carol minimum. So, um, but yeah, it was a nice moment to sort of be shared, really. But then it was even, then it was quite sad after we get in the TARDIS and, you know, like you've already said, Rose says, oh, but won't that change history? He goes, oh, no, he he dies this year doesn't say when necessarily but he passes away not long after so he doesn't get a chance oh. to tell the story basically so we do still manage to get a bit of, com- of sort of comic levity though don't we because this whole time the doctor's going into what he refers to as his shed and yeah. Dickens is saying in the box both of you and he just goes down boy and they mentioned even earlier in the episode about how Dickens was a you know a bit of a one uh, you know a bit of a womanizer and so forth but then the doctor points out that they're leaving him more full of life than he's ever been. So they have, and that, like Sarah was saying, puts me back into the mindset of Vincent and the doctor, where Matt Smith talks about life being a pile of good things and bad things. And they've added to the pile of good, and then they leave it on a good note by saying, let's give him one last surprise. And Charles Dickens gets to watch as the TARDIS dematerializes and just wanders off chuckling to himself like a madman. And we get the uh, sort of the iconic... Merry Christmas, God bless us, everyone. Line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Odd, I suppose, in a way, for an episode that aired in April, but it works. Probably <laughs> <laughs> wobbly, timey wimey. There we go. There we go. I tell you what, though, do you know, I think one thing we did miss, um, we never actually got from Benny how he settled on this one in the first place. 
Ah, yes, that is very true. So, and again, you know, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. We we beat beat whatever. We go way back to the very beginning of this episode, and I ask a question that I asked what's that now pushing an hour and a half ago. How did you come to choose this particular one, Benny? Because it was the only one left I could pick, basically, because everybody else had picked everything else I wanted to pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is that. I'm not going to lie. That did play a part. But when I look through, like I said, I mean, uh, this, uh, somewhere near the beginning of the episode, I was, you know, I was very much like, I've always looked back on this with a bit of like, because uh, of Christopher Eccleston and the way he was. But I think I've let it go, obviously. <laughs> um, and actually, there are some really good episodes in this. And I think uh, you touched upon it at the start of the episode. This was the first one that in this series that, yeah, and the end of the world was good. The mannequins were a little bit cheesy, but this was the first one that really grabbed me from the opening segment of the, you know, the show where it starts before we get the intro. And, you know, me, so I am very much, I've always been interested in the, the weirdness of and the paranormal things. I'm not saying I necessarily yep. I'm on the fence with it, but I'm, it, it's a subject that interests me. So it grabbed me almost, even though there's a zombie vibe about it, it is very much a ghostly sort of thing going on. And, but yeah, for, I mean, yeah, right. Aliens of London and stuff is, it is what it is. Um, the Dalek episode is pretty good. Um, the empty child, as we've already mentioned, are you my mummy and all that kind of stuff. And do you know what I mean? I, I've, I've probably given it less credit for for this whole season because of the way I felt about Exton. Actually, there is some really good episodes in this. Yes, it hasn't aged well in some cases, but I think The Unquiet Dead is one of the top few in this first season that's actually really good. Okay, well, I was going to ask for, for your thoughts in summary, but there you go. You kind of kind of given it to us. So that's great. I, used to, I do another show. It's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, very similar to what we do, what you guys do over here. So, <laughs> so you, know. <laughs> you know how it works. <laughs> I know how it works. <laughs> Uh, you talk about Charles Dickens very quickly. Uh, in Quantum Leap term, we call that a kiss with history, wouldn't we? So just got to yes. throw that out there for the waiting room. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Very true. That's right. You say about it being spooky as well. It kind of fits in with obviously fits in with Dickens. So yeah, if definitely. Gonna, if, you, if you're going to have a ghost story set in the in Victorian times, you have to have Charles Dickens. Yeah, and I like the little little Easter eggs as you pointed out of like the knocker and even the story is very similar to a degree of like a guy sort of re like so Scrooge is a very much a guy that um, is kind of content in life or mo- grumpy or whatever, but then gets visited and the events of his that night change his life, which is very much what happens to Charles Dickens basically. So you, there's a parallel there with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, Dan, your thoughts as we sort of come to a close today. This is one that I was, sort of looking forward to covering but didn't expect too much from as i mentioned before it was one that sort of just it was just there for me before this but going back looking at it and and, and actually dissecting it and, and basically for the first time actually thinking about it as opposed to just you know just watching it and and putting a bit more thought into how it fits into the into doctor who as a whole i properly enjoyed it i really did enjoy it um in terms of sort of the numerical rating, it's maybe not going to be as, as high as, as some of the other ones we've covered this series, but it's still far from the worst thing I've ever seen. So I'd probably give it around about a six and a half, seven out of ten if I'm having to rate it, uh, having to rate it. Because obviously, as I say, I'm trying to keep track of that to uh, to help in our in our wrap up episode of the season. Uh, see, I'm not that organised. I'm not rating anything, and I'm just going to wing it the week before we do that. Do our summary like I normally do. Fair and enough. Then, yeah. Um, 
I was massively surprised by this. I bloody loved it. I remember it being decent, but it's not one that I would have rushed back to watch. Um, Charlie was banging on about how good this episode is when I said that this is what we were going to record about today. And I was like, okay, she's very excited about this. And she wanted to watch it back with me when I you know, sat down to watch it for the recording today. And she was crazy excited. I just thought she was excited to be going back and watching, you know, early new who again, because we've gone through the whole lot. now. So she's, she's now sat downstairs still working. I know her mum's gone out and she's still sat downstairs working away through the talent era as we speak. So I know it's something that she's wanted to do. I thought she was just a youngster getting overexcited. But no, I stand corrected. This was miles better than I remember it being. It's bloody brilliant. And I think when we come to uh, our ranking countdown episode at the end of the season, Dan, this may feature very, very high on my list. At the moment, anyway, we have more stories to view, of course. But at the moment, this is, this is it, you know, it's in good stead with me. Yeah, I can completely see how you got there, mate. It, it'll, it'll be definitely in the uh, in the in the top uh, the top half for me as well and i just like <laughs> i like how you stopped short of saying you you were you were you thought that charlie was just excited to spend some time watching doctor who with the dad when uh, when you knew that wouldn't be the case <laughs> oh no she she came up she watched it with me and we finished watching um a little bit of context for people listening we started recording this today uh, at half past two the episode that we were watching this unquiet dead finished at about quarter to two uh, I still had to do a few bits and bobs to prepare for the recording. Char- uh, Charlie, who I thought, you know, enjoys watching Doctor Who because it is watching it with me, picked up the remote control to the fire stick and said, Daddy, how does this work? I'm going to put another one on. And I was like, well, I'm going like, well, to be busy. And she's like, she sort of looked at me like, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're, you're taking it as a negative. But actually, that, that's a positive, man. You've uh, <laughs> put on oh, yes. a good show. So, you know, yes, it's a, you do it to spend time with them. But yeah, if you've... I mean, the reason we even do Quantum Leap, mate, I think I've already said this on that show, not to harp on about it too much, but the reason I watch sci-fi type stuff is because my mum was like stuff like that. She she would entertain it. She would give it a go. And Quantum Leap was one of the shows that she uh, watched. So, And it's still to this day one of my favourite franchises. And this, all right, Doctor Who I discovered by myself, but I'm hoping when my daughter's a little bit older, she will then venture into the world of sci-fi because... Yes, it's got the time travel, space, and blah, 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 but it's got some really good human stories. Um, that are, even though they are set, in this case, back in time and stuff like that, I think people can relate to to a degree. Maybe not the clairvoyant stuff, but, <laughs> but you know, in terms of the things they deal with, with guilt and loss and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. No, okay. Fair enough. Uh, Dan, before we go around everyone for our socials and, and uh, say tala for the week, what are we doing next week? So next week is our first special. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, the Colin Baker era, and we're going to look at the two Doctors. Ah, interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that. I, I was racking my brains. I really don't think I have. Or at well, least I not watched I, all of it. I definitely haven't, so it's going to be a completely new experience for me. Oh, interesting. Okay, great stuff. Um, Benny, I suppose then, before we let you go, I want to say a huge thank you for joining us on the show today. And before we do, as I say, let you go, John, let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and uh, pass out all the details for all the brilliant content and shows you are involved in, please. 
Well, I appreciate the invite. I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Dan, first time we've ever spoke, so it was a really good laugh, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again at some point in the future, whether it's this combination, I have no idea, but you know, whatever happens, man, I'm, it was great to talk to both of you as normal. Um, there'll, be, there'll be a UTT invite in the post. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, but in terms of myself, you can f- follow me at Benny Mac, B-E-Triple-M-Y-M-A-C-K on Twitter. Obviously, Anything I pretty much do is locked in with Cy at SJP World Media, so give that a follow at SJP World Media on Twitter. I do a little bit uh, of a part-time sort of Twitch streamer, as and when now, to be honest, is having time to fit everything in. But that's at uh, so twitch.tv forward slash Benny Mac Gaming. Again, B Triple and YMACK. And then gaming on the end, obviously, I do in the corner on SGP. Gameplay Junkies is uh, up and running, kind of. <laughs> a few technical issues we had last week or whenever this airs a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, at Benny Mac, basically, on Twitter. Oh, but like I said, everything I do is on SGP War Media. So just give that a shout, really, in the corner, waiting room. <laughs> and now Doctor Who Pod. So there we go. Right. Game, game Junkies and all the tech issues really makes me feel good that I'm not the only one that has to put up with that bullshit. Oh, well, that's, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you off air, we don't need this to... <laughs> I'll tell you what, but I think well, we think we found the issue and I'll tell you off air. Alright. Uh, Dan, whereabouts can people find you and the shows you're involved in, please? Uh, if people want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm on Twitter at DanGriffin21 and I'm also on Unbooking the Territory where myself and UTT Rob uh, look at the first and last of professional wrestling. You can find us at UTT Podcast. And we've got a couple of side projects, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times of the in-ring career of uh, the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. That may be finished by the time this comes out. We're coming to the end of that. But we do have a new pint-sized podcast where we look at the only time a wrestling title has ever changed hands via legitimate sporting competition. It's called Unputting the Territory, where we're looking at the Being the Elite Gator Golf Tournament for the Being the Elite Championship. I've still got no idea how Rob taught me into that. I do believe several high-percentage stouts were involved. <laughs> Brilliant. Aren't they always? Oh, well, not, not so much anymore. Like I said, I found out this week I could, with the medication, I got what, five beers and then my medication decides to try and kill me. Ah, yeah. Best to avoid that, mate. Best to avoid that. Uh, anything I am involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. As Benny mentioned, that's SJP World Media. So at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And the network carries all sorts of great stuff. We have, uh, if nostalgia for television is your thing, for example, such as Doctor Who, we also have the waiting room that I do with Benny, looking at Quantum Meat that we've mentioned a few times. Uh, the Murder and Mind podcast, we do have our good friend Mort looking at the old BBC drama series from the early 2000s there. Plenty more shows arriving soon as well. If wrestling is your thing, we look at wrestling from a nostalgia standpoint there as well. Nitro Nights looks back on WCW week by week, show by show. That's been running now for over 70 episodes. Really proud of that project that Scottish Danny and I are doing. We have Chain Wrestling as well, which is live on a Monday night via YouTube, the SJP World Media Facebook group and Twitch. It's just two idiots talking bollocks, basically, for a couple of hours. Come and join us. It kind of we, we think we hope anyway. It gives a bit of entertainment and breaks up the week for you. And the podcast version comes out later in the week. Uh, yeah, loads of stuff going on with SJP World Media. Make sure you're checking out a follow, a like, and subscribe on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. But most importantly, you can follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the Doctor Who Pod at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. Benny, 
thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic for me personally, having two people I count as good friends who I speak, I've been speaking to for quite a while now about two separate loves of mine, Quantum Leap and Doctor Who, all coming together to talk about you know this crazy alien, a little blue box. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, putting forward this, I think in a way, a little bit of a hidden gem goes under the radar a little bit of a, of a Doctor Who episode, my friend. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was a uh, good fun, and uh, well, I you know there's at least an invite to UTC. Maybe we can get on Pod <laughs> Doctor Who Pod again soon, hopefully. Yes, indeed, indeed. Dan, I will speak to you again next week. Yep, see you next week, buddy. And thanks, Benny. It's been a blast talking to you, mate. As I said, the invite for UTT is in the post, and uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely be having you back on uh, on here. I appreciate it, guys. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. So do you think it'd be a shepherd's pie or a shepherd's poo? (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod this is a guest de- oh fuck me i'll start that again i was gonna cough halfway through the fucking sentence <clears throat> I, was, I was so adamant in my head i was thinking don't cough don't cough don't cough i forgot what i was trying to say Brilliant. um <laughs> right i'll do that again